All right. If y'all stand for God's word, if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 16. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. Psalm 16, verses 1 through 5. Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in thee. I say to the Lord, thou art my Lord. I have no good besides thee. As for the saints who are in the earth, they are majestic ones in whom is all my delight. For the sorrows of those who have bartered for other gods will be multiplied. I shall not pour out my libation of blood, nor shall I take their names upon my lips. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. Thou dost support my lot. Let's pray. Father God, you are our only good. There's a lot of good things in our life, Lord, that you have given us by your grace and your mercy. But when it all boils down, you are our only good. We can't run to these other things. We can't run to your creation to fulfill the emptiness inside of us. Only you can fill this void inside of us. And so we run to you, for you are our only good. We thank you and praise you for being our only good. Lord, I pray that we will just focus on you, put all the distractions um, aside. Just help us to truly, sincerely worship you in spirit and in truth. Probably sings your name. Amen.
Ron asked me to pray this morning. He was embarrassed at how froggy his voice sounds. <laughs> Let's continue in our uh, vein of worship uh, before the sermon begins. Let's pray. Father, we are uh, just amazed at your grace and your mercy, how you bestowed it on us, and we each of us know we have huge faults. Uh, we say that we are yours, we say that we love you, we say that we will follow you, but then at times we don't. And Lord, it's crushing to us, and I'm sure it's much more so to you. But, uh, <clears throat> but you love us anyway. You sent Jesus so that one day he did come, as was described in the scriptures, to be a sacrifice and to die for our sins, to pay for those that we commit, have committed in the past, to, pray for the, to pay for those sins that we continually commit now. We recognize we're not perfect, and Lord, we above all want to be humble before you because we know who you are, we know how holy you are, and we know also how much you love us and desire for us to serve and to obey you. So Father, I thank you for the great work that you've done, for the dependence we can place upon that work, that even in uh, our faults now, we know you still love us, and the door is always open for us to turn to you in humility and repent and to let your spirit and your word work in us to change us. That's what we pray for. We thank you for the uh, opportunities you give us. We thank you for the many blessings. And most of all, we just want to give praise and all the glory to you uh, today. In Christ's name, amen. Good morning, everyone. Well, um, as Jordan was... Um, speaking just a minute ago, we talked about how we have a propensity uh, to worship the created rather than the creator. <clears throat> Certainly the people of Israel had that same problem. And in Deuteronomy chapter 4, Moses is warning the people against idolatry. Just listen to the, the, the words that he says. He says, only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen. Verse 15, he says, Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully. And 16, he says, Beware. And 19, he says, And beware, lest you raise your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the host of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them, things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. And 23, he says, Take care, lest you forget. 24, he says, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. It's interesting that over in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul reminds the Corinthians of those very people. He says, do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. In verse 12, he says, therefore let anyone who thinks that he, this is so important, guys. Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure. Therefore, my beloved, he's speaking to brothers and sisters in Christ. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I love what Moses said back in Deuteronomy 4. Um, Deuteronomy 4, verse 39. This is what he said. Know therefore today and lay it in your heart. And what that means is consider. So know it therefore today and consider in your heart that the Lord 
is God in heaven, above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. So this morning, I don't know what God you have a propensity to serve. I have a propensity to serve false gods. And just think about that for a second. None of those gods, whatever false gods you have a propensity to serve, there is none of those gods that have redeemed. There's none who have saved. There's none who have hung on a cross. There's only one God that's done all that, and that's the God we're here to worship this morning. Amen? Let's all stand. Let's sing about our God.
sing an old classic. Yeah, absolutely. Give the Lord a hand, guys. It's okay. We're going to sing an old classic right now. You guys remember Humble Thyself in the Sight of the Lord? All right, remember that from the 80s? So we're going to do that song right now. And um, just, just thinking about um, that he who thinks he stands, um, basically take heed, because that, that's when we fall, right? So let's just sing about humbling ourselves in the sight of an awesome, mighty God. Sing with me. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. And He will lift you up higher and higher. in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up higher and higher, and He will lift you up, up into heaven, and He Time with everybody. Our God is an awesome God. 
out the instruments. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Amen. Thank you, praise team. How do you like this pulpit? Phil Hansen built this pulpit for me. And even though he's an Ole Miss fan, I let him do it. Well, my wife, yesterday morning, uh, she woke up. One of the first things she said to me is, hey, honey. And then she says, I didn't know Duke had a football team. This morning I told her they don't. <laughs> I do have a button here that somebody may have misplaced. It says hogs are beautiful. If you've misplaced the button, come up after church and I'll be happy to give that to you. All right. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. So Lord, um, we just want to thank you for the privilege of being able to gather this morning and as we just sang, you are an awesome God. There is no one like you. Um, help us to not only know that, but to live that, Lord. And um, I pray that as we dive into your word today, as we look over the next several weeks at the foundation and the pillars of Grace Community Church at Deerfoot, that this wouldn't just be an exercise, Lord, of who we are and, and what we stand for, but that we would be transformed um, by your word and that we would come to understand that the things that we, that we hold to uh, come from your word. They're not man's ideas, but directly from your word. And I pray that you will speak uh, to each one of us in this room, and if there's anyone in this room that does not know the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that today could be the day of salvation. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. I want you to take your Bibles. You can go to Acts 16. Acts 16. We'll be there eventually. But um, I wanted to just kind of let you guys know what we'll be doing over the next a few months. Uh, it's hard to believe, right? Uh, it's September 1st, and before you know it, We'll be saying Happy Thanksgiving and Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. It goes by quick. And so I kind of wanted to let you guys know what we would be doing over the next uh, few months together as the Lord uh, leads. Uh, we'll be going through over the next, uh, I guess, probably a month and a half, we'll be dealing with the foundation of the pillars of Grace Community Church. And um, we will be in the Word every week. It's not just going to be, hey, well, this is what we do at Grace. You're going to see. But I think it will be very beneficial, especially for those of you who are newer to the fellowship. But even for those who have not been here or who have been here for a while, I really believe it's going to be a great reminder of where we stand as a body of believers. And it's very important to know. You don't just go somewhere 
I'm just going to church. But you need to know what that church stands for and what that church believes. That's very, very important. Uh, ultimately, all of you who are in here ended up at either Springville Road or Deerfoot at some point in time before the merger, and you investigated the church. And that's why you sat in those congregations. And then when the Lord brought us together, hopefully the investigation didn't go away, but you were still looking at, hey, this is what grace stands for. This is who grace is. This is what they stand on. This is what they believe. If you haven't reviewed the doctrinal statement of grace, you need to. I mean, you need to do it. And, it, and I have great news for you. It's all tied to the Word of God. You're not going to find anything in there that's just man's opinion. It's going to be tied to the Word of God. And so I wanted to give to you guys some things. I know your notes there, there isn't much there for you. But that's because you're going to be writing some things. Okay, and in the weeks to come, I'll give you more and more, and uh, hopefully it'll be a great benefit to you. Um, first thing that you need to know about Grace Community Church is that our vision statement is knowing Christ and making him known, right? Knowing Christ, and it's not just knowing about Christ, but it's that relationship. It's that fellowship, Right? That once you come into relationship with Jesus Christ, you have the privilege of having daily fellowship with the Lord. And the only one that restricts that is you. Isn't that awesome? We live in a free country. We are able to open God's word whenever we choose to do that. And so I would hope that as believers we're choosing to do that on a regular basis. Knowing Christ and then making Christ known. And we all live in... Right, different circles of influence. Whether you're at a job or at school or wherever the Lord takes you through your week, you all have different spheres of influence God has placed you in. And what's really awesome is as a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the living God in you. And so when you walk into that place at work, you're different maybe than everyone else. You ever thought about that? that you're different than everyone else or anyone else without Christ for sure. And maybe you share in common with just a few of your employees, hey, this, this person knows Christ. But you have the power of the living God, the Spirit of God that lives in you. And so it's important that we take on, and all of us have the responsibility to take on making Christ known. Every single person in this room. And lately we've been emphasizing some of the tools, right? We talked about as I got back from England and the Lord had his time with me. And one of the things that, he, that came out of that was this John, uh, Gospel of John. I hope that you're taking those. They're back in the, in the foyer. Please feel free to take those. Use those. And there's a track called Knowing God Personally. I would encourage you to take that along with you. You never know when the Lord is going to open up the opportunities for you to make Christ known. And isn't it true? It always comes about at times where you're like, wow. I didn't know that was going to happen, right? A lot of times it happens that way. All right, so that's the vision statement of grace. The mission statement is being the hands and feet of Christ because we have the responsibility in knowing him to make him known, and so we need to be different. We need to look different. We need to live different. People need to recognize in us that there is something different about us, and it's Christ in us. That is the difference. It's like Paul said, it is no longer I that lives, but it's Christ that lives, what, in me. Now, he makes me different, right? He made me different. Um, 
Now, being the hands and feet of Christ involves two or three things here. First of all, it involves sharing the gospel. You know, all of us have the responsibility, as I just said, to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, you remember the Lord gave that responsibility to his disciples, all of them. You know, he didn't say all but John or all but Peter. He said, all of you have the responsibility. And in their world, he said, you're going to start in Jerusalem, you're going to go to Judea and Samaria, and you're going to then end up in the remotest parts of the earth. And what did they do? They took on the mission. So if the Lord was here, what would he be saying to us? No different. Not some different message, right? The responsibility of the church is to start in their Jerusalem, go to Judea and Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. You say, Thad, I can never go over to Africa. That's okay. You can pray for those people that are over in Africa. See, we can be involved in that. That's the responsibility that we have. Um, The second part of being the hands and feet of Christ is building up believers in the word and prayer. This is a very critical one. Um, How many of you like to be built up and encouraged? Like that? It's a good thing, right? Well, if you go to the scriptures in the New Testament... What you're going to find is the, the one another passages. That would be a good series to do sometime. And in the one another passages, there is the idea of building up believers. Um, for example, we build up believers as we forgive one another. Right? We build up believers as we love one another. As we're kind to one another. As we bear one another's burdens. There's a big one. Right? You have a burden. How do you, man, how do you unload that burden? First of all, you just say, hey, Lord, it's yours. But you know what's great is we have the body of Christ here that we can go to. We can say, brother, sister, I need you to pray for me. This is the burden that I have with my child. This is the burden I have at work. Right? The body of Christ, guys, it's designed, God designed it so awesome that we would be able to minister to one another. How many churches, or people, I guess better said, come to church and view church as simply an activity in their week? First of all, the church is made up of who? Believers. And so all believers, right, have the responsibility, right, to build up one another only on Sunday. I think it kind of looks that way sometimes. I think the challenge would be that we would all take upon ourselves the responsibility to build up believers is every day. I certainly think when I read through Acts, that seems to be the pattern of Paul and Silas and Timothy and all those guys. I mean, it was all the time. It was a lifestyle. So building up, and I think that's a good term for it, lifestyle. That our lifestyle would be building up believers. One might say, well, I'm not equipped to do that. Yes, you are. If you're in Christ, you're equipped to do that. Here's the good news. You have the spirit of the living God that's going to help you. And you know how I know that? Because Jesus told his disciples that they would receive a helper of the same kind. And he would be in them. Isn't that awesome? So everywhere you go, there he is with you. You can't run away from the spirit. He's there. So, we have the responsibility to build up believers in the word and prayer. We'll get into the first part of that next week.
Uh, then the third responsibility under being the hands and feet of Christ is equipping believers. And you can attach verses here, Ephesians 4, 12, and 13. Equipping believers to do the work of the ministry. This is where I think there is mass confusion today. The work of the ministry has kind of been, I think in some circles, that means I'm going to go help on a mission trip and do this for two weeks, and then I've done the work of the ministry. Or I'm going to go down to Florida. Hello, Sarah. It's nice to see you. I'm going to go down to Florida, and I'm going to help out right down there with that ministry. I'm going to see Sarah and her friends for two weeks, and that's the work of the ministry. First of all, the word work is the word ergon. It means to work to the point of exhaustion. Who's doing that? Well, in the context of Ephesians 4, Paul's doing that. He's saying, look, equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. The work of the ministry is equal, equated to gifts. And I got really good news for all of you who are in Christ. You have a gift or gifts. And guess what? Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, God has placed each member in the body just as he purposed. That means function in that gift. You say, Dad, I don't know what my gifts are. Come talk with me. I'd love to talk with you about that, right? I mean, what's your passion? Well, as a believer, our passion, number one, is Christ. And so within that, hey, what has God equipped you to do? I took a spiritual gifts test years ago, and it revealed I had the gift of teaching and mercy. The teaching I love to work on, the mercy. Mercy? You can go ahead and laugh if you want to. Right, but listen, God has placed all of us, right, to work together. We're not, listen, I think so many times the church is viewed like this individual, right, group of people that they do what they do, but they're not doing it together for the glory of God, but it's together and for the glory of God. And the work of the ministry is not just work like we think of work, right? The work of the ministry is using the gifts that God has given us ultimately for his glory and the benefit of the body, so please do not, please, I'm begging you, don't sit there for the next 10 years wondering what your gift is. Saying, I really don't know where I fit in the body. I get how people do that. I get that, right? I get the fear. I get, well, man, I can't be like you. Well, God's not asking you to be like me. There's one of me. Thank God, right? Not more of me. God wants you to be you. Isn't that cool? God wants you to use that gift of mercy, that gift of encouragement, that gift of teaching. And he's given all of us the platform to use those gifts. So I just wonder how, how that goes in churches. I know for us here at Grace, that's a very big part. We want you to know your gift and function within the body of Christ for the benefit of the body and for the glory of God. In that order, right? Benefit of the body, glory of God. Well, all right. That was just an introduction. Now, the pillars of grace. This is a test on this next week. 
Man, I'm taking a class right now. That professor, he's going to wear me out. It's a great class. The historical books. But he gives assignments like read First and Second Samuel by next week. Along with another hundred pages to read in this outside book. That, By the way, when professors give you outside books and it's somebody else's, that's one thing. But when their outside book is what they wrote, guess what? They want you to read it. All right. Let's look at the pillars. Before we do, I want to talk about the foundation. That's kind of where I want to land this morning is the foundation. The foundation. Now, I want you to keep in mind the whole time here, it's the foundation of the church at large. It should be. But for us, it's the foundation here at Grace. And the foundation is Jesus Christ. How many of you agree with that? Even if you don't, that's right. Okay? The foundation is Jesus Christ. It's him. Who is the head of the church? The Pope? No, Christ. It's Christ. Christ is the head of the church. Right? So each of us as individual members of the body are to function under the head. Paul writes about that. I think I can go back. Sorry, I can do this now. I can go forward and then I can go back. Um, the foundation of grace, meaning Grace Community Church, is Jesus Christ. He's the foundation. Paul alludes to that very clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It's interesting that um, in the Corinthian church, there was these divisions going on. You know, some, I'm of Paul, I'm of Peter, I'm of Cephas. I mean, I'm of Paul, Peter, right? I'm of Apollos. They're having this argument going on. And um, within the context of that and spiritual growth, it's interesting that Paul talks about in chapter 3 the foundation of the Christian life, which is Jesus Christ. And he says, verse 10, look at this. According to the grace of God, which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it, right? Because these guys were like, hey, I'm, I'm with Apollos, and I'm with Peter, and I'm with Paul. And Paul's like, hey, is Christ divided? Christ didn't divide it. Is Christ divided? No. <laughs> By the way, that happens in the church today. You know that? I'm of this person, and I'm of that person, and I'm of this person. Man, Hey, listen, I'm of Christ. How about you? I'm of Christ. That's the measurement. And Paul says, according to the grace of God, which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. Anytime you know you got a caution sign, I'm like, hey. I know when I pull up to a house and it says, watch out for dogs, I'm like, whoa. I'm watching out. Here's a caution. He says, each man must be careful how he builds on it. Be careful how you build. Because listen, it's very important. The ministry of Paul was not about Paul, it was about Christ. The ministry of Paulus was not about Apollos, it was about Christ. The ministry here is not about Thad or the elders, it's about Christ. All the elders and myself have the responsibility to point the sheep to Christ. He's the one that the ministry is built upon. That's very important for you to understand. I mean, think about how many churches today are built around one man, but it's not Christ. So for all of us, I think the accountability is that we build on Christ. 
who is the foundation according to Paul in verse 11. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid. Which is who? Jesus Christ. No, it's not which is what, but which is who? It's a person. It's Christ. So the foundation here at Grace is Christ. Our responsibility as leadership is to point you to Christ. That's the responsibility that we have, and that's the responsibility that I have, and I take that responsibility very seriously. I am not up here to entertain you every Sunday. I would do a lousy job at that. I am here to point you to Christ. That's my responsibility. That's the responsibility of the leadership, elders and deacons, Christ. And that should be, I mean, we should take it all on as the church. The responsibility we have is to point people to the foundation, which is Christ. Okay? Um, but then, notice back here, you have, it's Jesus Christ and the gospel. They're connected. And it's so important that we understand the gospel. Especially in the day and time that we live in. My goodness gracious. There are so many Gospels, I'm not sure that people are even able to clearly tell you what is the Gospel. First of all, if we're going to say, hey, Gospel, Gospel, what does Gospel mean? Class? Good news. Hey, that's good, man. I love good news. You like good news? I like good news. Well, I think Paul does a really excellent job in 1 Corinthians 15 of laying out what the good news is. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 5. Look what it says. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. So who is the authority? Is it Paul or is it the Scriptures? The Scriptures. That's a very important observation in this text. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. This is what the Scriptures clearly teach. If you go back to the Old Testament, it's what the, the, the prophets prophesied would take place. That Christ died for our sins, and, and that personal pronoun, our, is very important. Don't dismiss the pronoun. Christ died for our sins. So what's Paul saying? I'm a sinner, and you're a sinner. You know what it reminded me of? Isaiah, in the vision in Isaiah 6. I, what? I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Listen, the responsibility when we are sharing the gospel is to make sure the person that we're looking across from understands, hey, they don't just have a problem. You have a problem. And the problem was what? Sin. And the Bible declares in Romans 3, all have sinned. All have sinned and what? Fall short of the glory of God. All. What does all mean? All. Isn't that cool? All means all. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible says here, 1 Corinthians 15, that Christ died for our sins. Man, when you come to fully understand that, and don't, isn't there just like this massive appreciation? There should be, because I'm no longer in my sins. I'm no longer going to get what I deserve. <laughs> I deserve heaven. I mean, I deserve hell. I'm going to get heaven. 
I no longer, right, am going to live eternally away from the Lord, but I'm going to live forever with the Lord because of my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, and he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Him being buried is very important. Why? He was a man. Fully man, fully God. But he was a man. And the Bible says he was buried. If you want to read about a neat story, there, Joseph of Arimathea, read uh, Matthew 19, or John 19. It's a great story. So he was raised, it says, so he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. You believe that? Do you live like you believe that? See, I, asked, I had to ask myself, I have to ask myself all these questions. I just want you to know that. I have to ask myself all these questions before I ask you. I believe it, but do I live like I believe it? And as I started thinking about that this last week, I'm like, Lord, you know, if I really believe it, then I can't wait to share it. That just made sense to me. And, and as I look at the conversion of Paul... In Acts, what did he do? You could say the dude went wild. And he went wild for Christ. And he shared the gospel, and he shared the gospel, and he shared the gospel. Well, I want you to look with me in Acts 16, because I want to present this question to you How is a man justified? Now, what does the word justification mean? Do you know by definition what it means? The word justification means to be declared righteous. Now, do you know that a man's not going to be declared righteous based on the things he does? How many of you know that? Right? Paul clearly outlined that for the Ephesian believers. When he says, for by grace are you saved through what? faith and that not of yourselves it is the what the gift of God not of what works I mean, you just take that into consideration that little phrase not of works man outside of true biblical Christianity that takes everybody out of the equation you ever thought about that it takes everybody out of the equation and if you do just do the population of India and China man, that's a whole lot of lost people Thank the Lord there's revival going on, I think, over there in some parts of China. I would take a revival in the United States today. How about you? We sure could use one. And I think a return to the gospel. I think it's just been so um, confused for some reason. I think man's tried to make it more complex than it is. I really believe that. Now, that doesn't mean that, that understanding terms like justification aren't important. Very important. Understanding terms like regeneration aren't important. Very important. But I think man has made it complex. And what I mean by that is man has said you must do this and this and this and this and this and hold on. When I was a little boy in five-day clubs, that's not how the gospel was presented to me. You know how the gospel was presented to me? Christ died for my sins. And you are a sinner, and you need Christ. He did something for you that you cannot do for yourself. In no way, shape, or form. 
And in order to be saved, you need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for you on the cross. And I think that last phrase is very important there, for what he did for you on the cross. He paid, we just sang about atonement. One atonement, Christ, there's one atonement that was sufficient for all sin, according to the Bible. And who atoned for that sin? Christ did. Well, so there are terms, yes, absolutely, they're very important. But I think man has kind of made it so complex. In fact, I think that's, and to be honest with you, I think that's where the church today is kind of having this discussion. And I'm saying, hold on a second. Let's look at what the Bible says. Let's just see what it says, right? There's always going to be, and you need to understand, there's, there's always going to be arguments in Christianity. Always. They're not going away. But the reality is when I go to my Bible, I have to acknowledge what's right in front of me. And in Acts 16, I think we're presented with a real clear picture through illustration of how a man is justified before God. It's already 11.25. Oh, well, take your Bibles and go to Acts 16. They come to, in their second missionary journey, this is the beginning of the journey, he picks Timothy up, and they come to um, Philippi. In verse 12 tells us that. It says, from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony, and we were staying in the city for some days. Now, what was Paul's custom when he came into a city? Where did he go? Synagogue. Well, there's no synagogue in all the reading and studying that I've done, two Jew, uh, ten Jewish males were required before there could be a synagogue. So obviously, there wasn't one. But that didn't mean that Paul was like, oh, well, I'm gone. No, not at all. In fact, we come down, and it says in verse 13, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled Verse 14, and a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening. Now look at this, and the Lord opened her heart. Who opened her heart? Lord did. Who opened your heart? You can say it louder. The Lord did. Who opened the blind man's eyes? The Lord did. Who opened Paul's eyes? The Lord did. Who opened your eyes? The Lord did. <laughs> so the Bible says, the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. So she responds. The Bible says, verse 15, and when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. That's a weird term. Verse 16, and it happened as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having an evil spirit met us who was bringing her master much profit by fortune telling. And following after Paul and us, she kept crying out saying, these men are bond servants or bond slaves of the most high God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. She continued, I always thought that was an interesting statement. I'm like, yeah, that's true. That's what they're doing. They're proclaiming the way of salvation. 
She continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of her at that very moment. Verse 19, but when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. When they had brought them to the chief magistrates, which were typically in a colony made up of two people, they said, these men are throwing our city into confusion being Jews and proclaiming customs which is, which is not lawful for us to accept or to observe being, Rome, being Romans. You know, Rome permitted people of the colonies to have their own religion. That wasn't the issue. The issue was proselytizing. That was the issue. And so verse 22, it says this, the crowd rose up together against them and the chief magistrates tore their robes off of them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. And by the way, if you go to 2 Corinthians 11, verse 25, it, and Paul talking about the persecution that he endured, he says he was beaten with rods three times. This is one of those times. Now, how many of you look at that and go, well, that sounds like fun. Beaten with rods. That doesn't sound like any fun. But that was what was to take place. And the Bible says, verse 23, when they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. Now, that's a pretty stiff command. And so the responsibility of the jailer was to do what? Guard the prisoners securely. And if it did not, it would mean his what? Potentially his life. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison. And some theologians believe this would have been an, an, a dungeon. Like it, there was a, a cell, but then another one that was deeper. That was called an inner prison. And they fastened their feet in the stocks. Well, so far we're looking at this and we're going, man, these guys are in, their, in a European city. And the reception to the gospel is not going great. Would we agree with that? Right? They've walked into Birmingham, Alabama, and they've been thrown into the prison. Well, so what we're going to do is pray that the Lord will get us out of here, and we're going to start pouting because we just don't like what's going on, and we didn't know this was going to cost us all this. That's not what they do. In fact, what they do is kind of really weird. We're looking at it from our perspective going, well, that's a neat story. I'm looking at it going, man, this is true. This is not a fairy tale. These guys are literally suffering for the cause of Christ. They do something phenomenal. As I look at it, it's phenomenal. And not, listen, and not possible without the Spirit. That man himself's going to go, man, I don't like this. But the Lord was controlling these individuals. Verse 25 says, but about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. How many times have you read this? How many times have you gotten tired of reading this? I hope none. Because it's an amazing testimony. I wonder how many missionaries have been impacted over the centuries by that text. I'm hanging in there. I'm finishing the course. No matter what happens, I'm finishing. I'm willing to suffer for the cause of Christ. No matter what may befall me. Um, 
Look at the next part of that verse. So they're doing what seems like craziness, but the Bible says, and the prisoners were listening to them. Boy, oh boy, I wrote something in my Bible. You know what I wrote? I'm glad you want to know. People are always listening and watching. You and me. And how we respond in dire circumstance. That's the truth. They want to know how you're going to handle that child of yours that has an illness to death. How are you going to handle that? They want to know that. They're watching. People are watching. Well, especially nowadays, man. This phone allows you to watch a lot. You don't even know who's watching you, right? You have no idea, maybe. I look at my phone. I can't figure out half of it. But I'm sure right now somebody's watching me. Hello? Right? That happens. I don't know. But we live in that kind of technology. You can follow your kids, right? I've seen it. There's a little dot. I mean, I've seen it. I, had, I needed that dot when I had my boys at home. I could have used it certainly with my oldest son. Where are you now? Right? I mean, it's not... But listen, we live in that culture. And all silliness aside, people are watching you at work. They're watching you at the ballpark. I don't know why the Lord wanted me to throw that out right now. But they do. Have you ever seen some of the reports that go on at ballparks? Parents fighting while kids are watching. Have you been through the line of an elementary school? Might I encourage you to, if you have time. Chaos. Listen, people aren't going, well, you go first. Man, they're willing to slam each other. People are watching. And listen, I'm guilty. You know, Kevin said it earlier, I appreciated his honesty in talking about the idols, because we all have idols. And it's like, man, that's so honest. I really appreciate that. And you know what? One of my struggles is, is traffic. No one knows how to drive. Only fad. I mean, it drives me crazy. And have you ever, this is, boy, you talk about admitting, have you ever been going down the road and then this person in front of you is cutting you off and you drive by and you're like that and you only do that once and maybe it's someone in the congregation you're looking at. <laughs> and you're going... <laughs> oh my goodness. That hadn't happened to me yet. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> but there's a couple of times where I've been like, oh man, that you cannot be looking at people. Because I have a bad habit when I'm in traffic and somebody's messing me up. I just want to stare at them. I'm like, what are you doing? That's not a good habit. People are watching and listening. Now notice what happens. It says, and suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were unfastened. How many prisoners were in the place? I don't know. Do you know? Man, I've always read, and this has only happened to me this time. I'm reading through it, and I'm still like, well, I don't know who everyone was. I know two of them. But how many were there? 
We need, at least know Paul and Silas were. But all the chains are unfastened, and when the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped because they were his responsibility. Verse 28 says, But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do not harm yourself, for we're all here. Dude, don't you know that guy was like, Oh my goodness. And I think it's evident that he was thinking all that. Verse 29 says, And he called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Notice he doesn't say Paul, and he doesn't say Silas. He says what? Sirs, plural. You know, I've read this story, I don't know how many times. And that's the first time I noticed that. I was like, okay, wow, it's not just Paul, because how many times have we said Paul, 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 Paul? It's Paul and Silas. He's saying to both of them, it wasn't just Paul singing. The Bible says that Paul and Silas were singing. Who knows, Silas may have had the better voice. We don't know. But the Bible says they, right, they answer him. They said, they said, not just Paul, they said. So there wasn't like this confusing message or a different message. Please notice that. It wasn't that Paul said one thing and Silas said another. They were in agreement. I'm not sure how much agreement there is in the church on what Paul and Silas said to this man. Can I also tell you that not only was it Paul's message and Silas' message, and it wasn't a confusing message, it's a very clear message, and it's a very concise message. He doesn't say, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, this is all you have to do, right? No! You know, one of the arguments is people are going to say, where's repentance, Thad? It's there! You say, it's there, I don't see that word. It's there. Because what does the word repent mean? It means to turn. What do we find this person doing? Turning. Isn't that awesome? That's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about confusion. People are like, man, the word repent ain't there. It must be, that must not be right. It's right. Let me give you another example except the opposite. We got time. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Now I want to show you the opposite because here it says, they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Believe. You don't have the word repent. And some people go, oh man, that's a problem. No, it's not a problem. Because when the man believes, he's turning to who? Thank you. Thanks for saying that loud. Now in 1 Thessalonians, we have it different. It's interesting. Chapter 1. Look at verse number nine. Paul's commending them for their faith. And that a bunch of people were impacted by their faith. That's the context. And you go down to verse nine, it says, for they themselves report about us what kind of reception we have with you. And how you what? What's that word? Turned. Oh no, believe's not there. Yeah, it is. It's right there. You say that, it's not in the text. It's right there. Because when they turned to God from idols, they did what? They believed. How do you know? Because what does the Bible say that they did? 
What does the Bible say they did? Served. Who serves the living God? Those that belong to the Lord. That's who. <laughs> it's there. So when you come to a passage like Acts 16, that's not a problem that repentance isn't there. It's there. And when you come to 1 Thessalonians 1, then you go, well, the faith's not there in that verse, but it's there. And so he said, they said, Paul and Silas, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. What justifies a man? Faith. The verb is here. Believe. That's what you say. Well, how do you know that? that this is only one passage. And by the way, just to clear up something real quick. He, they say, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Now, in no way... Was Paul inside saying, hey, if you believe, then it's good for you and your household. That's not what, no. The same requirement, belief, for you is the same requirement for your household. Do you understand that? It's not just like, well, if you believe, it's like be like saying, well, that if you believe, then, then it's good for Caleb, Mike, and Andrew. No, it's not. And listen, that's why it's so important today that in our households, we are bringing up and nurturing our children Right? In the fear of the Lord. In the instruction of the Lord. Why? Because listen, by the time they leave your house, guess what's going to happen to them in college? You want me to tell you? Or you already know? They're going to go, what are you talking about, dude? They're going to come home and go, hey, dad, mom, they're not talking about Christ like we believe. You better get them while they're young. And listen, young people, it's not, well, my mom and dad believe, and so I'm going to be in heaven one day. I want every single person in this room to be in heaven. I want all my family to be in heaven. If the Lord came back today, all my family's not in heaven. I need to wrap it up here because otherwise I'll get way too long. And I'll be into Romans 4, which we'll just have to attack next week. I thought how crazy it was to start a new series on Labor Day weekend. But it's all right. A lot of you are here today. Praise the Lord. We'll talk more about that justification piece. I want to show you another example of that. Hey, guys. We're justified by faith alone and Christ alone, plus nothing else. I didn't make it up. It's right there. I'm going to show you another illustration. Or you can just go home and read it this week. You just read through the book of Romans. You can tell me what the illustration is. What's the illustration? Abraham, thank you, class. You remember that, right? From chapter 4. And do you know the first time the word believe occurs in the Bible is in Genesis 15. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm like, man, that's, I like this. I just, I'm a big believer in looking at what happened, that word being used the first time, and I'm, like, I'm going, man, the Bible says in Genesis 15 that Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him as what? Righteousness. Righteousness. He believed. He did it. And by the way, in this Acts passage, what's Paul and Silas communicating to this man? Responsibility at all, class? 
Yes. Shake your head. Yes. He didn't tell him he didn't have any responsibility. What did he say? Believe. And you know what? I'm going to tell you something. Every, listen, I'll tell this to the greatest theologians. I don't care who they are. Every single believer has the same testimony. Every single one. The Lord opened their eyes to the fact they were a sinner. And he opened their eyes to the fact that Jesus Christ spread out his arms in love and died for their sins. And that by believing on what he did, his substitutionary work, they too could have eternal life. You say, Thad, did you explain it like that when you were seven? No. No, I didn't. But I remember. I remember like it was yesterday. And my mom and dad had told me I was a sinner for a few years before that. Right? Parents are good to do that. You dirty, rotten sinner, right? You're walking around. I mean, I'm, I, listen, I was a sinner. And my mom and dad had five-day clubs all the time. And I, I CEF people around the house all the time. And I had heard the gospel a bunch. But it wasn't until one night... I was sitting on the kitchen cabinets and a man named Phil Newsom says, Thad, what are you going to do with the gospel? And I'm like, I know what you're talking about now. And man, I can't tell you. It's just that the Lord opened my eyes and I came to the point of on my knees saying, Lord, I am a sinner and I am so thankful that you paid for my sins and I'm trusting in what you did. That's all I knew to do. And nowadays, we have people out there going, well, you have to do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and I think people are confused. It doesn't seem like to me that Paul and Silas were confused. Does it to you? Nope. And it doesn't seem like Paul, as he's writing Romans, was confused that when Abraham believed God, it was accredited to him as righteousness. And I want you to know this, and we'll be done after this. The righteousness that has, been, right, that has been charged to your account is the righteousness of Christ. He has draped you with his righteousness. It's not your righteousness or my righteousness. It's only the righteousness of Christ. I have this story I'm going to share with you. We'll be done. I think I started preaching again, didn't I? I was about done. All right. Well, that happens. So, there's a story of this Civil War slave. Her name was Elizabeth Keckley. And she was a slave in Missouri before the Civil War. And her greatest desire was to purchase freedom for herself and her son. And her owner agreed that if she could raise $1,200, she could gain her freedom. Now, think about how much money that would have been. Keckley worked as a seamstress and came up with a plan to go to New York City and work there to raise the money, but her owner feared that she would not return. Instead, some of her wealthy clients in St. Louis contributed the money she needed, and Elizabeth Keckley paid the price for her freedom as well as for her sons. She moved to Washington, D.C., where she counted Mary Lincoln among her dressmaking clients. Without the help of someone else, Keckley would never 
have never have been without the help of others, Keckley would have never been able to purchase her freedom. David Jeremiah goes on to write in this story, all of us were enslaved to sin with no hope of ever gaining freedom. In mercy and compassion, Jesus gave his life for us, purchasing our salvation by shedding his blood on the cross. Do you believe that? Let's pray. Lord, we just want to thank you so much for what you have done for us. Lord, my prayer is that at Grace Community Church at Deerfoot, Deerfoot, you would find us, Lord, faithful to the foundation of the church, faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us not to confuse people with what your word tells us. And Lord, I pray that all of us in this room would evaluate, just like Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, to believers. Examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Lord, I pray that you would find us ready when you come and that you would find us doing the work of the ministry. That you would find us sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for our time today. Lord, I do want to pray for Sarah and her friends. I'm glad they're here today. I'm pretty sure they're probably doing some ministry. I'm not sure where it's going to be and what they're doing, but we just commit them to you. Thank you for examples of young people that have given their lives to you, and I pray for their continued work in the ministry that you would, Lord, continue to bring alongside of them those that would equip them, Lord, um, for further service. Thank you for your word, and thank you for the fact, Lord, we don't have to make it up. You've given it to us, and we don't have to make up the message. Um, I'm just so thankful for examples like Paul and Silas, who in the midst of, of tribulation and trial were praising you and praying to you. And, and Lord, I pray that um, that would just encourage us as, Lord, we face different tribulations and trials in our lives, that we would go forward that we would finish the course like Paul did. That was his testimony, that he finished the course. And I pray that we would finish, Lord, what you have started in our lives. We want you to get all the glory and all the praise, salvation, the glory of all that belongs to you. We pray, Lord, that, that you would receive that in our lives as we live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys. So if you about ripped somebody's head off at the ballpark this week, or if you, uh, if you got frustrated somebody cut you off, um, there's awesome news, First John 1, 9. Um, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I thought we'd close out the service today with a song. Um, it's just a prayer. Uh, Lord, Lord, clean me up. It's amazing about the gospel, the one God that we've talked and sang about this morning, that there's only one God. The one God that we trespassed against is the one God who's made us a, a way to be cleansed. And so... Um, I just want to encourage you guys, you can remain seated. Just make this your prayer as we start out this next week.
Spirit, come make us humble. We turn our eyes from evil things. Oh Lord, we cast down our idols. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to clean hands give us pure hearts let us not lift our souls to I was a prisoner, and he paid the price for me. I was lost, and he found me. Uh, he paid the price. He sought me, and he won me with his loving kindness. And I just couldn't help but think about that as I was listening to the band and the preaching. And I'm just so thankful, you know? 
um, that he rescued me from my sins. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father God, I love you, and I thank you so much for sending your son to die on the cross for me, for all of us, Lord. You didn't have to do that. You could have wiped us all out and started another human race somewhere. Um, but you loved us so much. Lord, I thank you for how you rescued us, how you loved us, how you paid the price for us. You see deep down inside of our souls, you see the ugliness, and you still love us anyways. Lord, we can never repay you, but we just want to worship you with our lives as best as we can. Give us your spirit uh, to help us to be self-controlled, to have clean hands, pure heart. Lord, to share the gospel with those around us, wherever we're at. Thank you for this gift that you have given us. Probably sings your name. Amen.